Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here. It's great. You can take a seat. Super excited. Okay. My name is Jonah, if you don't know me. Uh, that's it. <laughs> I'm really excited. I think tonight's word, it's just been speaking to me so much. Um, the truth of the word that we have access to is not like anything else. It's not like any other help book that you could read or you know, tips on how to get rich. <laughs> it's not like that. Um, I'm excited. To start off, I might just share a little bit about myself to get on the same level as you. Hands up if you're out of home from your parents, like you live away from your parents now. I do, as of a bit over a year ago. All right? To all of you who are still there, it's good. Hold on to it. It's beautiful. <laughs> but also, be excited. But here's one of the challenges, I would say maybe one of the hardest ones of moving out of home, at least what I felt for myself, is that I suddenly have to rely on Google to uh, define what my symptoms are, like to diagnose my symptoms for whatever ailment I may be feeling. And when you're a kid, you just say, Mom, oh, this is happening, my head hurts or something. She goes to that little box above the stove that's full of like 500 little bottles and jars and boxes and she gets the right little tablet for you and you feel better. And you're like, wow, that's awesome. Mum knows. But you move out and you have to make one of your own of those boxes and uh, you have to come up with your own conclusions as to why your, your head might be aching. And then you think about the last time you had a glass of water and you go, maybe that's why. But anyway, now, basically every time I feel ill, I realize I should probably start saying my goodbyes because Google says I've got like 10 to 15 days left. Um, and that's it. <laughs> now, I've learned that <laughs> you can't trust Dr. Google. Um, but the way you know what you're struggling with or, or, or what you're you should be diagnosed with is based off the symptoms. That's where it comes from. And if you go to a doctor and you say, hey man, uh, can you fix me? He'll just say, well, what are your symptoms? What's, what's wrong? Without those symptoms, there's no way to know. Your brain doesn't come with a cognitive trigger for every single illness or ailment that you could come with to say, oh, you have appendicitis and you should get your appendix removed. Or something. <laughs> like it doesn't, it, your brain doesn't come loaded with that. You have to identify your symptoms and that shows you the root. So... If you're taking notes, the title of this sermon is The Cause is the Symptom of the King. The Cause is the Symptom of the King. God, we humble ourselves before your word, recognizing that it cuts right to the core. And the truth that is in it is alive. And it has the power to change us from the inside out even this long after it was written and so God we look to learn we're open to receive and we're listening with the ears of our spirit to hear what you're saying to us amen before I read this first passage I need to add a disclaimer for all of you I'm gonna say you a lot because I'm talking to you but this word is just as much for me <laughs> uh, the guy that's reading it and saying it as it is for every single person here because that's how the word works. Uh, you're not hearing from me tonight. You're hearing from the Bible. You're hearing from God's word. And so am I. And I'm believing that it's going to change us. In James chapter 2, verse 14 to 26, James says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith 
but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Or they have faith and they have deeds or, or whatever you said. No. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? That sentence alone there is something worth noticing. (laughs) Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deed is dead. To focus on a king and a cause as the theme is awesome. It's such a fantastic and well-rounded thematic motif. (laughs) It's faith and works, guys. It's faith and works. Faith in a king and the works of his cause, and you need both. You cannot have one without the other. There's no point in having faith in a king if you reject the works of his cause. And there's no point in chasing the cause if it's not for the king. And the order is crucial here. Faith in the king has to come first. It always has to come first. And then the cause will follow. The cause is the symptom of the king. James couldn't be any clearer about the uselessness of faith that produces no works, no deeds. He not only calls it useless, he calls it dead. He says, can that faith save anyone? He shows people from either end of the spectrum, Abraham, the friend of God, one of the great fathers, Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho, both, both were counted as righteous in light of the deeds produced by their faith. Their faith was made complete in their good deeds. Let me be perfectly clear here, though. This is a contentious topic. Like, this passage from James is discussed widely and disagreed upon, and people take it out of context. Let me be clear that there is absolutely no debate about if our works can actually save us. No debate. Paul makes it abundantly clear in many of his epistles that your works add absolutely nothing to your salvation. Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles and James to the Jews. 
we read from James before. And so the heart of their message, it's slightly different. And both of their perspectives seem to conflict on the surface, but in reality, they create the most perfectly full understanding of faith and works that we could ever dream of having. While James says, stop saying you have faith and then neglecting to show any fruit of it in your life, Paul says, stop trying to earn your salvation. It's pointless. Salvation is a gift from God by grace through your faith in Him and your works can't add anything to that. Paul says in Ephesians, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. That's what we need saving from. We're all in sin. We deserve wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Here it is. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The last part of that passage in Ephesians, it just sums it up so perfectly. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It's a gift from God. It's not by works. No one can boast. You didn't do it. You're not saved by what you do, but by your faith. No right to boast. It's a gift. And then, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are created to do good works. Isn't the word amazing? (laughs) People can accuse it of contradicting itself, but the reality is when we test the word against the word, it bolsters the truth of its message to us. Paul says in the beautiful Romans chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. The law, everyone, condemns and leads to death. But Jesus sets free and leads to life. We don't live by the law. We don't strive to prove our worth to God. The law is powerless to save us. It cannot. It only points to the one who can save, Jesus. 
That's Paul. Now let's hop back to James. James chapter 1, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. I just got to say that again. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Notice he doesn't say that they will find salvation. (laughs) That's not what the law does. But they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James put it there so clearly. That's the religion that God finds pure. It's not just what you say. It's looking after the orphans and the widows. And it's not being polluted by the world that so often drags us to a life of sin. That's James. So I hope you're starting to see here, right? We've got two different perspectives where Paul says to the Gentile, guys, stop trying to earn your salvation. That's not how it works. I know that you're looking at the Jews, you're looking at the people who know the law, and you're saying, this is what they've done, so I've got to do all of these things. No. Paul's reminding them that, no, because of Jesus, your salvation is found in the faith that he saves you alone. And James, to the Jews, guys, stop saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and then neglecting the call of God to serve him in your life and to live by the way that he's asked you to live. How can you call yourself a follower? How can you say, that's my king, and neglect the person who's naked, and neglect the person who's hungry, and the person who's in prison? These, these views do not conflict. They support each other. Paul reminds us that the Lord doesn't save us, but Jesus saves us. So don't strive after the law for your salvation. And then James reminds us that real religion doesn't just hear and forget what the word calls us to do and what the law instructs, but real religion actually remembers and actually does it. Not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So, don't waste your life by just chasing the cause chasing the works, chasing the service of his house or even giving to missions, all of these things leave you with nothing to boast about. Nothing to boast about. Works for works sake achieve nothing. Because you're not made righteous by your works or deeds. That's not how salvation works. Like the prophet Isaiah famously said, All of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts, God, look, 
I increased my faith promise this year, God. Look, that person who needed my help, I helped them and it cost me a lot. Look, all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Obviously, you know I'm not saying to not do any of those things, to not help and to not love. Like, that's the opposite of the message here. But the point is, that's a filthy rag to God. It does not earn your salvation. It does not get you a better spot in heaven to say, look, God, I was a good person. That's not how salvation works. Don't believe the lie that can exist in all of our hearts so easily that would have you think that there's something to gain from your salvation by doing things for God. If it were that way, it would not be God saving us. It would be us saving us. Like Paul says in Romans, if by grace, then it cannot be by works. And if it were, grace would no longer be grace. (laughs) Are you still with me? You still here? Let me say this again. There is no point in having faith in a king if you reject the works of his cause. And there's no point in chasing the cause if it's not for our king. The cause is the symptom of the faith you have in the king. It has to be. Think of the story of Mary and Martha. Think of the story of Mary and Martha. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, This is in Luke. He came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. While Martha sought after what she thought was the cause, what she thought was the cause, Mary sought after the king. And it's very clear which one Jesus preferred. Another example from Paul in Galatians. Paul's just in the middle of rebuking Peter in front of all of these Jews and Gentiles because as Peter's there eating with the Gentiles, some more Jews rocked up and some more Jews rocked up and Peter's like, and he started feeling really self-conscious about eating with the Gentiles. He pulls away, starts hanging out with the Jews and the classic split keeps happening. The Jews on one side and the Gentiles on the other. Paul's just ripping into him in front of everyone. And towards the end of it is what Paul says. This is so good. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 19 on. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen to this. I do not set aside the grace of God. 
For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ's death means nothing. Why would that matter? If I could attain righteousness by means of the law. So let me say it again. And reminder of that disclaimer, this is so much to me as well. Don't spend your life just chasing after the cause to prove yourself worthy because it won't save you. You aren't worthy. Paul shows us that the very fact of Jesus' death on the cross is the evidence that we cannot save ourselves. If not, then why? Why would he die? We need Jesus. He is the only way. We cannot save ourselves through works or by the law, and that's why Jesus had to be crucified. His death was our portion, and like we just heard, his resurrection was our resurrection to new life. We've heard a lot from James and Paul. We're coming towards the end, but let's see what Jesus has to say. Right? (laughs) That's exciting. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's a big statement. Lucky it's Jesus saying that, right? (laughs) That's a big statement. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Oh, no. No. <laughs> No, your good works do nothing to save you. Make no mistake. A life of service to God is not how you enter his kingdom. If it were, like Paul said, grace would not be grace. And, he would only, and we would be able to boast in the awesome life that we live to earn a place in his kingdom. But Jesus also says something else. I'm going to get the team to come up. If everyone could actually close their eyes and picture Jesus saying this later in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. That's beautiful. All the nations will be gathered before Him And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Can you picture it? Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Wow. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. 
Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, and go to visit you? And the king will reply before all the nations, remember, the hosts of angels. <laughs> The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will all answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. That is both a beautiful and heavy picture. And tonight, the Word calls us to do two very simple but very essential things. It's actually what Jesus said is the most important of the commandments. It's to love God, but to love others as well. Everything else really does hang on these two commandments. Don't withhold love from anyone love with reckless abandon with no concern for self love out of the overflow of the lavish love God already poured out on you and while you love everyone around you chase after King Jesus run your race for him and him alone run your race towards him love him with everything you've got don't be like Martha too busy too busy trying to do what she thought she should be doing, what she thought was the cause and missing the person of Jesus who was before her. Martha's kind of service will burn her out and it will leave her feeling depleted and empty. And I can promise the exact same for you. If you start with the cause, if you start by trying to earn your way to his kingdom, you will live a very depleted life. The service of God is not the wide path, it's the narrow path to follow Jesus. You can't start with the cause. Let's be like Mary. Mary sought her king. Mary chased Jesus. And any good deed or work that she performed would merely be a symptom of her rich faith and love for Jesus. That does not wear you out. That invigorates you. So church, let his cause in your life be a symptom of your faith in him. Let that faith lead you to a new life, a born-again life, a spirit-led life. You will find yourself fulfilling the mission and the cause he has for you. You will see that the pursuit of the king leads you to lay down your life for his cause. Your faith in him 
producing in you the good works he has planned for you all along. Let's stand together. Lord God, we take the truth of your word and we take it to the depths of who we are right now. God, I don't want to be distracted, missing who you are, but rather, God, I want to love you more than I've ever loved you before. I want to love you in a new way. And I know, God, that as I lean into you, as I seek you, as I chase after you, Jesus, as I place my crown on your head and say, you are my king, God, I know that, my, that your cause begins to be outworked in my life. I know that the fruit of a life that's sought after you is a life that is laid down fulfilling your cause. And so God, together as your church, we stand here tonight under the truth of your word and we ask it to change us. We ask it to call us to live new, born again lives and to fulfill your mission for us each and every day. Amen. Thanks guys.